Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you, dear. everybody doing? That was sweet, wasn't it? Mm. I love sweet worship. Actually, I love the Lord, and He's sweet. He loves me. I'm sweet. Because of Him. I think I need to take this off. They, uh, we, we turned it in right this morning, and I think it's working a little bit, but the heaters weren't working in here this morning. Isn't that always, you know, the heaters always work until you need them. You turn them on, they don't work. It's like, what? That's the way of it. Well, lots of uh, turmoil in our land, and uh, especially with, with uh, we're closing out this section of teaching on the weapons on our, of our warfare. There's one more uh, to bring the close to it. That's next week. And um, I got asked this morning what happened to this past week's teaching. And I forgot to put the thumb drive in the recorder so it didn't get recorded. I'm th- sorry. It was totally not a technical glitch. It was a Lloyd glitch. And uh, Lloyd glitched and it didn't get recorded. Um, but I'm not going to reteach that. I feel like we're supposed to press on and do that. And so. Um, in light of what uh, this morning's teaching is about, we've been doing these mindset things and about what the weapons of our warfare are and how to overcome these things that we would call frenemies in our lives. They, uh, they stand against us. They are arguments that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Um, but they're also friendly to us. We're familiar with them and, and working through them and how we grow in Christ and our understanding. So before I read this passage of scripture, I want to pray because this morning is about the pauper mindset. And uh, we'll explain what a pauper means, but it has to do with poverty. It's a, it's a mindset, it's a stronghold of poverty um, that I think is very prevalent. Uh, and this is why I chose it as the last one. It's very prevalent in the body of Christ and what uh, the forms of Christian service and teaching and just uh, what Christianity looks uh, like today. And um, it's juxtaposed by things that happen like the faith movement and stuff. And some would call it, name it, claim it. I'm not here to argue pro or con over those types of things. Set against that we're more holy if we live this austere lifestyle that denies uh, earthly pleasure. And that somehow that makes us godly. And so I want to break that. In doing that, I want to pray a blessing on your finances, on your household income. Um, And just that in doing that, um, I guess we've built a little bit of a, this is going to be strange to say, a little bit of tradition at New Day in that I don't pray over your offerings. I pray, I pray to bless your finances. And you have to, I believe that giving is a relationship to God. 
it's all part of that. How we give, why we give, the way we give, all has to do with how you're related to God. And I don't think there's a legalism, a tenth that this is actually a tithe, though I tithe. But I don't do it because I just do it because that's what I've done for a lot of years. And I've always seen God provide in my life. And so that's been, that's what my, how my relationship works to him. I believe that God wants to bless our finances. I believe that God delights in taking care of us. I believe that God delights in getting us out of debt. I believe that God moves and makes provision for us, sometimes absolutely miraculous. I've had those in my life. I have those testimonies in my life where it didn't look like, it looked really bleak. And then God came through and it's like, what? And so he has been so faithful. And so I would like to pray for your finances as we start this. So, Lord Jesus, I hold everyone who is here this morning, everyone who couldn't be here this morning, and all of our families that are traveling or have to stay home because of various things, I bless the finances of the families and, and the people in this church that they would have more than enough, that there would be an abundance of income for them, that, Lord, where there's new jobs need to happen, that you would bring a new job, where promotion needs to happen, that you would bring a promotion, where there's debt being faced that feels insurmountable, that you would cut through that, and that you would even remove the debt, even when it was stupid debt, that we knew we shouldn't have done it and bought something outside of our means. Lord, help us with that. Lord, you're not against us prospering. You're for us prospering. So I pray prosperity over everyone who's here in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5, I want to read it. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That's a key verse. We don't do this by willpower or by Uh, other means that we can make it happen. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but they are mighty in God. That means they have a grace. When it says mighty, it means all the power of God behind that. For pulling down strongholds. Now, another way of saying strongholds is mindsets. The way our mind gets set in a certain way, in a certain uh, way of thinking. It becomes a, uh, has a stronghold on you. And how you process things. How do we know that? The next verse. Casting down arguments. Those are the things to say. And every high thing, that's actually the stuff outside of you. So this is internal arguments. And then the external things that vault themselves against the knowledge of God. God made knowledge simple. So that even I could understand it. So that you could understand it. God made the knowledge of God simple. Jesus is the most complex, simple being you can know. Is he complex? Yeah, he's God. He's also extremely simple so that we can understand it. Aren't you glad he made the gospel simple? We sang that song. If it wasn't simple... uh, Uh, I had some friends laughing at me last night a little bit about how good I am at math. 
I'm terrible at math. Okay, my response to math is I never did understand geography. Uh, and to poke fun at myself, I'm not good at math. It's difficult, it's hard, but I can go one and one is two. When it's that simple, I get it. That's the way God is. God makes it so simple. Why? So he says this so even a child can receive him. So a child, and that's how you're supposed to receive him, in that simplicity of the gospel, I can, Jesus is my Savior. You know, it's, it's that simple. It's the song that you taught your child, and maybe our children in here are just a little bit. Uh, I can remember my children when they were three and four learning the Bible song. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. Stand upon the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, Bible. <laughs> it's supposed to be that in that simplicity. And the joy of being able to sing, sing that, you know, it's that. And there are things that vault themselves against the knowledge of God, and they try to make God and godliness complex. And then it gets interwoven with high spiritual things, uh, principalities and powers, and they come against... Uh, and it's always this. This is how you know when it's outside of you and it's raising its head. Because it puts a doubt into you. It's the same lie from the beginning. Did God really say, are you sure about that? Are you really sure it's that simple? The answer is, oh yeah. Yes, it is. He says, we can bring all of those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Most of us were taught that it had to, that, that meant that you were supposed to be obedient. But it's saying taking those thoughts captive to what he did. Here's, a, here's another way of saying it. Look at me. Stop trying to figure out me by looking at you. Look at me. Look at me. It's so clear and so simple. So the best way to break ungodly mindsets is with a grace mindset. And so this is our friend John Lynch. I'll read these to you. The grace is the absolute and unforced favor gained by Christ's death and resurrection. That's what grace is. You have the favor of God. Allowing God to be completely for you and endlessly in love with you. Apart from anything that you have to prove. You don't have to do anything to get God to prove it to you. He proved it to you on the cross in the resurrection. So then he says this, grace is an actual realm. This is the realm that we now live in when... When the singers were singing, no distance, no delay, that's, this realm is inside of you. Christ comes in and makes his home with you. And now that realm of grace where you can feel that first paragraph, the absolute and unforced favor, that's where it is. It's in you right now. You don't have to pray, oh God, favor me today. Oh, he is, he's in you. It's a way of life in which we no longer strive for acceptance. 
we mature, we heal, and we are released into his intentions by trusting that Jesus and all of his power is fused into us. Romans 6 says this, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, think what that did, that's resurrection authority and power, dwells in you. Every time I'm faced with a decision, that verse can come into play. Oh, I, you know, so many times I think, I don't know what to do here. And then you just go, oh, wait, you pray and then you know what to do. That's so simple. Except when mindsets get in the way. This one, a pauper mentality, it's woven in and through religion. It's a mentality steeped in shame and false identity. It encompasses the idea of poverty and money and socioeconomic background and wealth, but it's actually way more subtle in our religion and even in our spirituality, yet can be as far-reaching and damaging in the idea of what is grace and truth. It's, it, it starts uh, making something. It's, a poverty mentality is a hopeless, false concept that disallows pleasure and goodness for the sake of spiritual gain and prohibits us from seeing ourselves the way God sees us. So our view of God gets this way. Oh, it's sort of like eating. Have you, have you ever noticed that anything that tastes really good probably isn't really good for you? <laughs> At least we tell ourselves that. And so you want to cut that off? Let me tell you, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good in every way, and he doesn't want to give you bad things. It's this idea when we have a pauper's mentality that God doesn't want me to enjoy this life because all enjoyment is sinful. That is so bogus, and it is so deeply steeped in religion, and it's Christian in many of its forms. It takes on a Christian mentality that that's how you, if you're a Christian, I mean, it's in everything that we ever, so much now we don't see that as much anymore. But like when I was a young man, I saw, and, and when I was a child and saw my sister, uh, I can remember, I think I was eight or nine, we had a family meeting where they talked about my sister got religion and became a holy roller. Well, she got saved in the Nazarene church. But out of that, immediately her changes took on an outward appearance in that she quit wearing makeup. They quit buying things on Sunday. They wouldn't drink Pepsi anymore. So they had a box on the refrigerator that every time they want a Pepsi, they put the dime in the box and it went to missions. And I saw that stuff when I was a kid and went, that's stupid, give me the Pepsi. It's a dime. But you see, that, that, that form of taking this on, and not only that, but, you know, there's a saying where I grew up in, in, in Iowa, you know, with her not wearing makeup, you know, there's a saying in Iowa, if the barn needs paint, and paint it. <laughs> wow. 
it was so weird to see her go from, um, you know, just doing, I mean, she wasn't like all gaudied up or anything, but she wore lipstick and a little face blush and it made her look better, you know? And whether she did or didn't wear it, but the thing is, is that now she was a Christian and so she removed any sense of beauty. And you go, and it, to me, it just, I mean, you t- talk about when I got in my teen years, it was like, and she'd try and minister her gospel to me. And I'm like, no, you know, it was just religion off the tops. So it tells us that the things of this life are ungodly. And it should be denied. You shouldn't, if you're having pleasure here, uh, you're probably sinning. And so it equates sin with having pleasure. So you didn't do things like, back, back then it was don't go to dances, don't, you know, don't do this. It's just a whole series of things. I think we can all understand that. It, it's a, it's really... Such a strange. Here's some of the synonyms and antonyms. I'll just read a couple of them to you, and you'll, I think you'll start seeing it. Uh, a pauper, uh, and, and being a pauper, is a state of lacking sufficient money or material possessions. Uh, and, and so it's got an idea of uh, destituteness, uh, destitution impoverishment, necessity, poverty, penury, poorness, want. Uh, Related words are really strange. Misery, woe, wretchedness. Those all take on that that flavor of being a pauper. Um, And the, the antonyms are even more telling. Luxury. Is that an okay Christian word? To have luxury? Is it okay for you to live in luxury? (laughs) Yeah, good life. Affluence, richness, wealth, wealthiness. Is it okay to be wealthy and be a Christian? Yeah. It's no more, no less than if you don't. It's funny, I know rich people who are the most impoverished people ever. And I know poor people who wrap themselves in cloaks of their poverty to prove that they're actually godly. And that stinks just as much. It's when we see ourselves as sacrifices to God, it's not based on grace. It's based on compliance, achievement, duty, obligation, And a lifestyle that is ascetic, austere, and living in self-denial to achieve levels of holiness. To show that I'm righteous and I have God's righteous favor before God. God doesn't have one interest in making you or keeping you poor. That's not God's goal. God would that you would have everything that you need. How does this run into the American mindset? Well, it does. It does run into the American mindset. Is there a tension with it? Yes. If you use your wealth to exalt 
yourself and hurt others, yeah, that's bad. But if you are a believer, listen, if believers who are wealthy thought that it was wrong to be wealthy and that they should give everything away, then nothing that we endeavored to do would get accomplished. God doesn't love rich people more, but he doesn't love them less. And being rich is not a way to make God's stuff happen. But I'm thankful for family. I know, I know very wealthy families that are in America that do so much good with their money. Um, have you ever played Secret Santa? You're like really like gone out of your way to bless somebody at Christmas? There isn't anything that feels any better than that. God is the... He really is the the Father Christmas spirit. He loves that. He loves the idea of that. Listen to what he says in in Colossians. This is such a... uh, I'm going to read a long passage, but just listen to this. And if that mindset has triggered, even with what I'm saying has triggered anything in you this morning, just listen to this. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. Now walk in him by faith. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware. What should you beware? Everything he's getting ready to say next. Beware means listen to this very carefully and take heed to it. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you some of your trespasses, if you make sure that you confess them tomorrow. No, what's it say? All. Oh, it made me lose my place. You all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public skeptical of them, triumphing over them in it. 
So let, and here comes the kiss. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principle of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. So when somebody tells you, you can do this and you can do that, but you can't do this and you shouldn't look like that, and if you're really godly, you'll avoid all this. What? He says, don't do that. He said, beware of that. That doesn't have anything to do with what God has for you. What he has in mind for your life. It's amazing how... uh, uh, how quickly we can fall into the trap of looking at stuff and making judgments about fellow believers. The, the car that they pull into the parking lot with. The idea of what they're having. The little thoughts that go, I wonder what they did to get that. And all those little things that chew at us, they are so off, it's unbelievable. Does God want to delightfully give you stuff? Oh, man. Has God ever given you things? Yup. Matter of fact, I can just about say that everything I have came from his hand. His handiwork and his goodness and his his love for me. And I've never... There was a time that where times were lean, and I learned a lot of things, mostly, not so much about God as I did about myself. I learned a lot of stuff during lean times of what drove, what, what gripped me, what, the things that got at me. Um, I learned in this way. When it was the really good times, here's what's really strange. I learned more things about God. He, he let the lack things teach me about me, and he liked the abundance things to teach me about him. Now, that may not be true for you. I'm talking about my life and the things that I saw. Because I, ha- I grew up in this mentality. You know, you guys, you guys know, I, you know, I live next to the railroad tracks. Uh, 
We weren't in a fancy house. We were very poor. We were poorer than I understood. I, I, as I got older, I understood how poor we were. When we were little, I was just little and didn't understand those things. But I understood it as I grew up. And so this stuff really affected me, really. This whole idea of poverty and the characteristics that went on with, with how I viewed myself these are the characteristics of it. It's not always exactly an adherence to it, but if you have any of these characteristics, you got to go, huh, maybe I have some of that pauper mentality. I was drawn to teachers in places that had that. They might have used different words regarding it about the simplistic lifestyle that I was now supposed to lead or that I was supposed to have less so so other people could benefit. Those kind of things drew me. I was attracted to those kinds of teachings and values. They sounded good until you realized that I was living at a poverty level with a family of five. And that there was no need to do that. That that wasn't the intent of God for my life. Or to have my kids grow up with a poverty mentality that if, if we had less, it meant we were godly. No, it doesn't. If you have less, it means you're struggling right now. And God wants to turn the corner for you and give you blessings. And have your kids learn that. Uh, it can actually drive us to uh, be suspicious and miserly, um, judgmental, insecure, feel condemned. And I had such a struggle. I'm, I'm telling you, I broke through this thing. I had such a struggle receiving blessings. Somebody want to bless me and give me money, I'd go, oh, how come that's happening? And I didn't realize, I would take it, but it would embarrass me. It's such a cloak of shame. Because there's shame in poverty. But we like that. It becomes a familiar friend. We dress ourselves in it and we call it humility. When God started to break through in this, I mean, he get, there was about a three or four year period where it was like, I was going, okay, you can shut the spigot off now. I mean, there, there was like series of things that people... Big things, blessed me with, possessions, things that were done for me out of kindness, money that was handed to me. And we're not talking millions, but I, you know, I, person walk up and hand me an envelope, say, the Lord told me to give you this. It was $5,000 in $100 bills. And I was like, huh? Well, we had a back porch that needed building and guess how much it cost? And before that, how has it changed? Well, in the old, when I had this mindset, I would scheme and figure out a way to sort of get it done, but it would be skimping. I would, you know, I would make do and make do with those pleasures. God was just trying to teach me, no, kiddo, it's okay. Not only should you have a back porch, it should be the best back porch ever. Let's have fun with that. I want to bless you. I want to take care of you. And man, it just started. Now when people want to do stuff for me, I go, yeah. Oh, I'd really like that. That's 
true humility. Because in it, I see that God wants to use somebody else so that they can receive a blessing by being a blessing to me. You have to think, you have to take the stronghold issue. If somebody wants to bless you, let them, because you denying them say, no, I couldn't take that. You've just now harmed them because they're not getting the blessing of being a blessing. Don't steal that from them. You're a thief. They want to bless you. Let them bless you. And then rejoice in it. Get giddy over it. Get silly of it. You know, God really likes me today. He really does. So how do you break that mentality? Apply grace and truth. Go back to the John Lynch thing. Apply it in your life. Uh, Speak absolute grace and absolute truth in your life. It's amazing. Christians are the only ones who think that you shouldn't concentrate on grace too much. Listen, focus on grace. It's the unmerited favor of God. That means he wants to favor you. He wants to shine his light on you. He wants to to love you and give you stuff and take care of you. You have to look for root issues in your life here. You have to look, what, what is the seed of that and where did that come from? Um, my family was poor, but my mom was such a penny pincher. I could tell, so my mom was a cleaning lady. She was uneducated, so she cleaned other people's houses. And that's what she did for a living. So I could tell when she was walking down the street, coming home, I could tell whether she got paid or not. Because she always got paid in cash and it was always in her right hand and her hand would be clenched like that. And she would walk like this. She got paid. Yeah, it was $1.75 for working for six hours at somebody's house. You know, but she... (sighs) Couldn't ever get work through those things. And God says, Lloyd... I love you. And then there were scriptures like, I want to make you the head, not the tail. I want to prosper you. I want to do good things in your life. I want you to see my blessings over and over and over again. And when I finally relinquished my shame, humility, and said, yes, oh, there was such a freedom with it. So are you wealthy now? Yes, look around the room. Because the real wealth of this world is relationships. That's the real wealth, is relationships. Not how much you have and how much you don't have, but how much we care for each other and what we do have. There's the key to breaking this mindset. Partner with God and discover the difference between denial of self and self-denial. There's a big difference. I'm not going to explain it to you. You search it out through scripture. The difference between denial of self and self-denial. And what it means. Declare and confess who you are in Christ. Christ is still doing that work in you today. I want to close with this. Three verses. 
2 Corinthians 1, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshy wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. He said, even though we were simple, we wanted to see you get blessed beyond measure. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life. And they might have it abundantly. What does abundant life look like to you? If you immediately went to money, you have a, you have a pauper mindset. You can be rich and have a pauper mindset. I've come that you can live life abundantly here and now. It means to live in the blessings of God. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Well, that means that I should really enjoy life, but if it means I, uh, somebody wants to give me a ticket to go to the Chiefs game, I really shouldn't do that. I should give that away to somebody else. Baloney! <laughs> go cheer on Mahomes and enjoy it. Relish in it. Love it. Rejoice in it. Tell others about it. I got blessed with a ticket. That does more in instilling faith in somebody else's heart. When I tell my God moments when he showed up and and did stuff in my life, I watch other people's eyes and it lights up because it instills in them the goodness of God and hope. That's how he sees us. And then when that hope starts working in your life, yes, I look to be a blessing. I look to have in what God gave to me, I want others to be blessed with it. And that can include money. I don't give money to everybody, but I give the money to the ones that God shows me to give it to. And in that, I'm partnered with him again in relationship. And man, it's good. And pray for our hearts. Lord, pray right now that you would break that poverty mentality that can wrap us up with the barbed wire of this life and make us strain and stretch. And Lord, we say right now, bless us, God. Bless us indeed. Expand us to the left and the right, that we would be a blessing to others. Enlarge the place of our habitation that others could receive. And we will acknowledge you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you love each other as you go? Thank you.